training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pendola Project. As always, I'm your host, Matt Pendola. Today, I get to interview Gwen Jorgensen. Now, if you are not familiar, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her through her book, Go Gwen Go. Her mom, Nancy, and her sister, Elizabeth, wrote this book. It's available now. We do talk a little bit about the book on the podcast. I strongly recommend it. In fact, I am going to do a recap of what I learned from the book in a future episode because I really do believe it's just such a great read for anybody who's trying to achieve greatness in their own lives. So really good this time of the year with the holidays and with COVID keeping us quarantined. I know that it can have make all the difference really to have a good book to read. So I strongly recommend it, but I will also take an excerpt from this book, give you an idea about Gwen. So during her triathlon career, she became the first American woman to win a triathlon World Series event, the first person in history to win 12 consecutive races on the ITU circuit, and was the first American triathlete, male or female, to win an Olympic gold medal, which she did in Rio in 2016. Gwen Jorgensen became the very best female Olympic distance triathlete on the planet. And this interview is all about her story. Now, I will tell you, as a fan, I've always been impressed with Gwen. She is a sportsman and the kind of person that you want on top of that podium. She always invites her competitors to share the spotlight with her. She's gracious. She has gratitude. She has guts. She is the epitome, at least to me in my eyes, and I know in the eyes of many, of what a true sportsman can be and should be. And I think that with my daughter looking at somebody like her as a role model, it just doesn't get any better. And I think that's why over the years I became a bigger and bigger fan now, little did I know that one day I was going to have the opportunity to actually work with her, as I've been doing for a while now. But uh, over this past weekend, I was able to go to Oregon and work with her in person. There were some things that we wanted to do, assessments, and to figure out some progressions for 2021. In this time, I learned even more about Gwen, and I couldn't help but ask would you be on my podcast? Um, I know that you'll learn so much from this interview, whether or not you're an athlete, a competitor, a mom, a dad, a sister. It, it does not matter. I know that you will get so much out of this. We're putting this out purposely Thanksgiving week because I do honestly believe it's something the whole family can listen to and learn from and really it's a family journey, and that's what Go Gwen Go, the book, was written about by her sister and her mother together to share their family journey. So without further ado, Gwen Jorgensen. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Pandola Project. As always, I'm your host, Matt Pandola. We have a very exciting Monday motivation for you today. I have the one and only Gwen Jorgensen. Gwen, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you, Matt? I'm good. We, we actually just saw each other yesterday, spent the weekend together. It was, and... Yeah, it was a very uh, a big weekend. We got a lot of work done. Yeah, we did. We, we really did. And you were a good sport about it because I tell you what, I was... Uh, I was really thinking that I was doing too, a little too much, but then I felt really good about how you received it. And you have such a good attitude and you're, you're patient because I think I took you through 
about 50 different uh, assessments. Didn't, <laughs> didn't we do a lot there? We did do a lot, but I think that's important. That's how we learn and how we improve. And we need to figure out, you know, where my body is at in order to get forward and to get good exercises and movement. So I think it was a really productive weekend. It was, it was long, it was exhausting, but I think it's really worthwhile and those improvements will, will come in the future. Oh, that's, that's just music to my ears. <laughs> and I know I'm, we're just very briefly, we'll talk about why we are even working together. So I have to, of course, thank the, the great Bobby McGee. And I've been so fortunate to, to work with him. He's, he's a mentor to me. Now, in the coaching world, I would say that he is Mount Everest of a coach. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm Mount Shasta. So I'm, I'm trying to, to learn how to get to that level. And Bobby taking me under his wing has been just amazing. We have been working together for about five or six years now. And in that time, your name has come up so many times. Yes, Bobby, Bobby kept recommending you to me. And I, I was kind of hesitant. Um, and, you know, Bobby knows me. And I think he said this to you, Matt, like, if I smell any BS, I'm just like, I call people out. Um, so anyway, I was, I was hesitant just because I didn't know anything about you. And then once Bobby started to tell me about you, um, I was excited to, to work together. But yeah, Bobby is somebody... I've been working with him for 10 years um, and we've done everything from he helps with like planning my mileage to helping with form to my mental game. He's just so wise. He has so many tools in his toolbox um, and he's somebody that I, I know I can always rely on. And so if, if ever something happens good or bad in training, I know that he'll shoot it to me straight and, and give me uh, what he believes is happening. And so he's somebody I trust and have trusted for a really long time. Can I ask you, Gwen, I actually haven't heard the story. How did Bobby become a part of your process? When did, why did that happen? When did that happen? Yeah, it actually started in when I was a triathlete and I was working with Jamie Turner. And I'm pretty sure Jamie Turner was the one that employed Bobby. It was before I'm pretty sure it was before Bobby was employed by USA Triathlon. And I think the first, the very first thing um, we did were these shuttle drills. Um, and it was something that my coach Jamie had gotten from Bobby and I really enjoyed those. But then we started to incorporate some other stuff like tire pulling. And I was actually a little hesitant to that, which is interesting because now I'm doing tire pulling constantly um, and love it and think it's so beneficial And so, you know, Bobby, yeah, we started working together through triathlon and then USA triathlon hired him to work as a running coach within the triathlon world. So I had that connection throughout my entire triathlon career. And then afterwards, I just, it felt like that was a really good connection that I didn't want to lose. And Bobby still had so much to teach me uh, even after those years in my triathlon career. So um, continued to employ him uh, after my triathlon days and, and in my running days now. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. And I feel like this isn't um, anything that you can control, but he's the unsung hero a lot of times. He I, that's is. What I, you're right. He, he doesn't really get a lot of times the, the, the credit, and he's not looking for the credit, of course. But And I think that is, yeah, and I think that's part of like what makes him a good coach is he he doesn't do this for the accolades. He does it because he actually wants to see the athlete improve. I can't tell you how many times just this year, you know, he's emailed me and he's like, this is the stuff I live for because I'll be telling him like, this is what happened. And he'll see these improvements. And he honestly is just, he cares about the athlete. And I think that is what makes an athlete successful as well. I think, you know, as a coach, when I always look for somebody who I'm working with, um, and, you know, Jerry Schumacher is my coach with Bowerman Track Club, but Bobby, I employ to, to help out with some of the other things. And what I look for in people is someone who gets the athlete ready on race day and somebody who doesn't need that person on race day. And Bobby is so good at get, helping me get the tools I need so that on race day, I can be self-sufficient. And I think that makes a really well-rounded um, athlete and somebody who can be successful in big time races wonderfully said there's a book that Bobby wrote and it was called magical running and I read that book it changed my coaching 
And then one day he called me up because I happened to have an athlete that made the Olympic development team. Um, he came to Reno to work on thoracic mobility. So uh, for the, there's a lot of runners, Gwen, that listen to this podcast and triathletes, um, mostly endurance athletes. So they're really going to geek out on this episode. <laughs> but you know where I'm getting to is Bobby called me because he wanted to know what we had done in the period that he was home to improve that rotation. And I said, well, Bobby, we actually worked quite a bit on extension. And so it led into this great conversation. Why is that? And what I love about that is the egos at the door. Bobby is already this, I mean, maybe he's not as well known as somebody like Jerry even, but the thing is that in your circle, he's the guy, right? Yes. Yep. And right. And, and so I'm talking to him and realizing that he is willing to say, I don't, I don't know what, you know, I'd love to explore this with you more and see if we can serve athletes more. So, you know, when you can, let's have you come down. And I told you this story over the weekend, but I literally jumped in my truck the next morning and I went to Colorado. We worked the weekend together. It was just crazy to me though, because then Alan Webb was there and I just, I couldn't believe that I was all of a sudden around these athletes that I'd always kind of dreamt about being around and being able to work with, but I was really there just to uh, help uh, assist and then show Bobby some things that I thought maybe would help. And that's what started our relationship. And we've been uh, working together ever since. I'm so grateful because, again, he didn't need to let me in the door, you know. Um, yeah, but then, he is, like you said, he's somebody who's always looking to learn, uh, you know, even getting a little off tangent, but I've been working with a menstruation coach and he he's connecting with her to learn more about that and the female body and like how it works in the sports and I just think it's really cool because Bobby is I feel like he knows everything but he's always trying to learn more and that's something that is really exciting and I think what you know in sport everything's changing and you need that one percent every day and so just for him to get out there and kind of get that knowledge base and to keep learning is something that I think keeps uh his his clients successful yeah well said one last thing I'll say about Bobby what I also shared this with you is he caught me saying my athletes a lot when we first started working. <laughs> and, you know, I had this background where I was talking about when I was a competitive runner and he said, um, you didn't run for so-and-so. And I said, well, yeah, no, I did. And I actually thought that he thought maybe I was like making it up or something. I said, no, I, <laughs> I ran for him. I said, no, you didn't. And he, what he meant is that you run for yourself. Yep. And that's when I started realizing that I really had to start working on my didactics. And that is also something that I'm continuously trying to improve upon. Yep. And I just look at athletes like yourself, though, as an opportunity to improve those didactics. And this weekend, I feel like I was able to get up a few more notches because you are no nonsense and you will say, I don't, you, this doesn't make sense. Yep. And, and our first conversation ever now, now <laughs> I, I, I think I can even say that um, we have at this point, uh, the kind of relationship where now I feel comfortable just telling you what I even don't know, but I will find yep. out yep. and I don't have to, but that first conversation we had, which was over the phone. And I got so nervous because I really was just, I looked up to you so much and still do. And then I couldn't believe I'm having finally this opportunity that took, I think, years for Bobby to maybe say, okay. Yep. <laughs> and then I was messing it up because the first conversation you were saying, well, no, that doesn't make sense to me. And Right. Yeah. You and said something about my scaps or something. And I was like, no, I think that's good. No, I don't need to do any work on that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I just, Let's if, I, if I don't think something's honest or true, I, I definitely call people out. But I think 
that's why, um, you know, it's good to have people in your circle that can see maybe outside of your own realm, because we have found out since working together that um, I do need to work on that. So yeah, but I called you out that first day. I'm not afraid to say what I think. (laughs) I love that. And I do think that that's a big key of what has brought on the kind of success that you've, you've had. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about your journey here, but um, I've talked in the podcast about Go Gwen Go, which is the book that yep. your mom uh, and your sister wrote about you. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Elizabeth and Nancy, right? Yeah. And, and uh, in this process, I, I really think that the right team around you is so important. And so would you speak a little bit about uh, how your support team was, you know, your culture, but it takes a village, right? And how that was just integral in your process to be able to get that gold medal, because I, I do think, again, the unsung heroes, uh, your, your family, your support team, your husband, Pat, I'm, we're going to talk about him for a little bit too. <laughs> I'm a big fan, especially after this weekend. I, I see how much he sacrifices yep. just all day. And I saw it there. And he is just so attentive in, in the best ways. And, and what I told him is that, look, Pat, you know, I think a real man leaves the ego at the door and serves his family and sacrifices. And it's not about, you know, uh, being a man's man or something. It's It's about being willing to be vulnerable because that's what's better for my wife and my beautiful boy. Um, yeah, and Pat is definitely the best at that, I think. He is. He really is. So I'm, I'm, I want to get on, on this track, though, but go ahead and talk about your support system and your family. I'd love to hear about that more. I'm sure the audience would, too. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned it takes a village, and I feel like a lot of people say that, but it, it really does. Even just, you know, talking at the beginning of this podcast about how I have Jerry as my coach, but then I'm working with you, and I'm working with Bobby, and, like, there's Pat. Like, I have all these people, and it's not just one person, but the, the book Go, Gwen, Go is something that my mom and my sister wrote from their perspective, but it has a lot of my voice in it as well, and it's just about how I grew up and basically raising an Olympic gold medalist, you know, at the time when I was younger, my parents didn't think I would be an Olympic gold medalist. They didn't think I'd be a pro athlete. They didn't push it. But I think from a very early age, they were always there, always supportive, but never pushing. They weren't, you know, they weren't the the parents like overbearing, but they were just at every meet. My dad became like an official at some meets and he'd always write down all the splits and he'd be like, when do you want to see them? Like if I did, he'd show them to me. If I didn't, he wouldn't. They were just kind of supportive. And I think that's really where my village started. And it, you know, it really instilled in me from a young age, like it's, it's, it, it takes a village and also everyone can celebrate everyone else's success. And I think, you know, when you celebrate other people's successes, it raises everybody up. And that's something that that's exciting. And, um, you know, the book is a passion project of my, my mom and my sisters. And I remember when they first wanted to write it and I was like a little embarrassed just cause I was like, I don't want to read about myself, but I think it is, you know, they're now actually writing another book. That's a middle grade book. And it's going to be a part of, a part of a series about powerful, um, women. And it's just, you know, they want to write a feel good, uplifting, good story about women because there aren't that many women store woman stories out there that are um uplifting and powerful and, and like showing that we can basically be whatever we want to be yeah yeah no and i uh, i wrote up one of the quotes in the book and i believe it was your your mom uh that wrote this but said what is it that motivates a competitor why do some athletes succumb to defeat while others forge ahead and so the uh, fortitude there with your three, three mentality. Would you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, in my triathlon career learned about journaling and the power it has. And so I, as a young athlete, I would say I was very hard on myself and I didn't always celebrate my wins. And in my triathlon career, my coach, Jamie Turner had me start journaling and writing down 
three positive things a day and three things I could improve upon. And, you know, that may have even come from Jamie or come from Bobby to Jamie. I'm not even sure. Um, But so I started journaling and just noticing that, like, when I write down three things that I did well every day, it actually was hard for me at the beginning. Um, It was very easy for me to find find three things I could improve. But the three things I did well was hard. And that's something that once I learned how to recognize the good that I was doing, it gave me a lot of confidence and, and power. And I think, yeah, you know, the talking about like, where does that competitive drive come from? My sister and I have had really long conversations about it. And she's just like, I could never be an athlete because when it hurts, I want to stop. Like she doesn't have, like, for me, I just, I'm almost like the pain. I remember I always used to be like, enjoy the suffering. And my sisters just can't even comprehend that. So I do think there's things that we're just born with, um, that we kind of tick differently. And, um, but for me, something that really gave me confidence and I think catapulted me was, was journaling. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because with the athletes that I've worked with over the years, the common thread a lot of times to me is if they are journaling any way that it works for them, by the way. So, you know, these days, sometimes it's, it could even be in voice memos to themselves on their phones. And it could be, I prefer pen to paper. I believe you do as well. Yep, still. That's right. Yep. I still have a paper journal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and I think, you know, I was even talking to a couple of the rising stars that, you actually have a fundraiser that supports these upcoming triathletes, which is amazing. Wonderful. I read about that in the book. And then last week I was at BAM in Salt Lake. And this is, I didn't even realize the coach who I think they have a very special program and culture. Yes. yes. And uh, the coach there, he said, yeah, Gwen's fundraiser actually um, contributed to us and helped us. And um, the girls there, there was two of them in particular that I'm now helping to coach. Um, and I worked with them last weekend and now online. And they, uh, they both talked about their processes. What's, what's interesting to me is there's so many similarities and just the little things like how Annie's dad would actually take splits for her, but encouraged her to also um, do other things that in other sports, even when she was younger, in other words, didn't try to specialize her so much so soon. And in the book, I didn't realize until I read the book that you had actually done uh, a lot of other things like basketball and swimming was always your first love. Um, So that always won over. But yep. you always still kept yourself, um, you know, a multi-sport athlete. And then you started to specialize a little bit uh, more later on. And then eventually, of course, I believe halfway through college is when you said, okay, track is going to be my main thing now. I was really impressed with, though, that even in high school, you had a coach that it seemed like he was really forward thinking and that he allowed you to just do the races and track because you were going to go to swim practice. Yep. I wish more coaches would, would open their minds to that. Um, <laughs> I think there's no coaches that do that now. Um, it's very, you know, I think the, the culture now is start them early, specialize them young. Um, and, and in a sense, you almost, I hate to say it, but like you, you almost, you kind of have to, in a sense, in the way that like, you know, there's no way if I now, entered college and tried to join the track team my junior year like I did in college with not running for four years like I just don't think a coach would let me on the team they'd say that's ridiculous like you haven't run any times and the times are just so much faster now like if I broke 16 in a 5k in college like that was huge that was you know one of the best times at Wisconsin ever and it was no problem getting into NCAAs and and now people are creeping down you know to low 15s and almost a minute faster. So I just kind of think back and think, you know, people are specializing earlier. And I think it's, it's making it harder because people feel like they need to be at this upper level. You know, in high school, I was only running 10 miles a week, maybe. Um, and, And that rarely cuts at this age, or this time, just because times are just getting faster earlier. I feel like there's a bigger jump 
um, in college and less of a jump from college to pro. So, um, but yeah, I mean, my parents never thought I, like I said, like they never thought I'd be a professional athlete. So they just didn't push it. They, um, wanted my sister and I to each do one sport and one instrument. Um, and they didn't care really what it was. And it was just, you know, choose what makes you happy. And I, I want to instill that in, in my son, Stanley as well. I think it was a great lesson that my parents taught me. Oh yeah. No. And, um, by the way, Stanley is such a special young man. I had so <laughs> much fun with him this weekend. He well, it's hard was, to, he, he really liked you because you brought him a, a toy and he <laughs> loves toys. <laughs> right. But you know what? I, I'm going to just highlight this for a second because it was a Lego. Yeah. You know, assemble it. Cause I, yep. I do like to try to let's put, uh, let's put some thinking into this, put the pieces in puzzle and then you can have fun with what you built. Yes. Yeah. And you guys, you it was okay. It was, um, you know, something that was made for four year old and up and Stanley's three. So, but you guys, uh, worked on it, built it together before we even had dinner that night. It was, it was done. <laughs> and I think he wanted to break it apart and do it again the next day. Yes. And- he still, even today. Um, and he's, you know, what I like as well, he actually today wanted to make it into a crocodile. So I just, like you said, like, it's a cool toy because it makes you think it makes you do like, those are the types of toys that are good. But yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely a thinker um, and he likes to figure things out. um, But he also likes to get stuff done quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and if I may say so too, um, I noticed there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, use of iPads and having technology where I think the brain is, you know, sometimes you need to decompress, but especially with kids, we have so many similarities in a way I believe that uh, uh, I'm raising Mia with my wife, Erin, that I think is so important and that we, we do get them solving puzzles and, and yep. right. And, and trying to, yes, embrace technology in the right ways. So sometimes it can be very good. But I, I did, uh, I noticed those similarities where Pat and Stanley, even when it was raining, by the way, went out and walked to the park. Yep. yep. And, you know, and that to me is so, um, you know, I, I'm, I know that you're active and Pat's active. And so that's a natural part of parenting. For- well, you know what, actually, I'm going to plug one other person who's been really meaningful in my life, which is Barb Lindquist. And she told me when I had Stanley, she said, you know, I think it's really important, no matter the weather, no matter what's happening to get outside every single day. And I just was like, you know what? Yes. And kids love playing in the rain. They love it. Like the people that don't want to do it are the adults. And so like, we can suck it up. Like it makes him so Stanley so happy to be able to go outside. And, and thank you for saying that, Matt, that we, you don't think we use a lot of um, iPads and TVs. I actually feel like sometimes we do use it too much. Um, especially now with the time change when it gets dark out early. Um, but it's interesting before, right before COVID hit, we actually got rid of our TV and then COVID hit and we had no TV, like couldn't go anywhere. The parks were closed. So we couldn't even go to a park. It was really difficult, but I think that time taught us, um, just, you know, how to make the best of every situation. And we have a TV back now. And the reason we actually got it back was because we went to an altitude camp and somebody housed that and they're like, I need a TV. Um, <laughs> so we brought it back in and we have been letting Stanley watch TV again. But, um, you know, we are, we're, con- we're conscious about, you know, wanting to do things and like cook with us, Stanley, like do everything with us. And um, we do definitely let him watch some TV sometimes, but everyone does. I mean, even we as adults, we need to just decompress sometimes, like you said. Yeah. And I want to get to Barb and how you were introduced to triathlon because you mentioned yep. Barb Linquist. But just last little thought there, when it when it comes to just a balance and my even my own uh, sister, she she I think she has this interpretation that Mia has never had like an M&M. And I was happy to see that. Stanley eats his dinner first, but then, you know, it was just after Halloween too. Yeah. And he gets some M&Ms. And I believe that that's really important to say, you know, it's, it's okay to have these things in moderation and to teach that early, just like watching TV, you know, in moderation. Yep. Yep. And And the candy thing is the candy thing is fun. You know, we actually early on, we would actually make his dinner plate and put the piece of candy on his dinner plate. Um, So he um, could sometimes have it 
whenever he wanted. And we actually do that with lunch sometimes. And the M&Ms though is a fun thing. I like to take like two or three and just hide them around the kitchen. And so it's a game and it takes more time and he enjoys them. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's fun. I think, you know, even I have chocolate, I have dessert. I don't think, like you said, like everything in moderation and it's good to, good to learn that. And I also don't want to deprive him to the point where then he possibly gorges. Right. And you, you guys also, I walked into your uh, house seeing the kitchen is almost like the center of, yes. right, the environment. Yeah. And uh, that, that is something that I really think it's important because even just something getting excited about, I believe it's a farmer's market uh, kind of basket you guys get with yeah, all the yeah. fresh vegetables yeah. and fruits. And then again, uh, Pat, man, I mean, geez, he is a wonderful cook. And I actually drove home last night. He sent me off with some food. It was so great. And <laughs> That's so <Pat>. good. Yep. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm not kidding. It powered me through. Um, I wanted to, I was missing Mia. So I, I just drove through last night Aww, and got home, but halfway good. through, I, I, I had Pat's meal and I swear, like, it was just like super food energy. <laughs> he does such a good job combining foods and making it taste so good. So I just wanted to bring that up too, is like, I think that you guys do a really good job where you find fun with food and you're both uh, foodies, really. Um, you guys, yeah. right? And I think like we, we're not vegans, but we've actually introduced a lot of vegan cooking into our meals. And I think what that does is when you cook with like fresh, a lot of vegetables, and if you cook vegan, um, you don't have cheese. And so it, you need to like elevate your sauces and you need to elevate the flavors. And so Pat just takes, um, these amazing sauces. Um, and he just really, he's done a great job and, you know, he's not been afraid to take cook Michelin star chef, like come help him. Alan Lim, who's, um, with scratch labs, he's come to our house and helped Pat te like teach him how to cook. So Pat's always willing to learn. And it's su super exciting. Cause, um, I'm always very satisfied with what he cooks. <laughs> and natural um, anti-inflammatories and just the prebiotics that, that you guys get in um, all throughout the day because of the types of uh, colors of the rainbow, really, that I notice is always lots of different colors. And like you say, yep. things to enhance the flavor. And we could get into a whole conversation about, <laughs> you know, alkaline and acidics, but it's funny because I've always said that really it's the body will figure it out, but it, you need a good, healthy gut. And yep. that's, that's another podcast, but it just, it really does support your training so much. I thought several times, wow, with all these fruits and vegetables in her plan, it's really helping her and supporting a healthy gut. So that's, that's wonderful. And uh, I said, I wanted to talk a little bit about Pat, but just just knowing that um, he's going to be on my podcast in next week, I'll yep. get to that stuff more with him because I, I think I think it's uh, really wonderful. My my wife this morning, I I uh, got home and she had uh, all different uh, types of fruits and vegetables ready for me, and Aww. it just it's I can't you know I got home and I was uh, I I took a couple hours sleep and then. Um, Mia got up to get to school and then my wife prepared me, uh, some, some really good food. And that's where that support system, like we said, is, is so important. She yep. knows I was just, you know, working all weekend and then yep. and driving and, and just having that to take care of me. I'm so grateful. And I know you're grateful for Pat that way too. I am so grateful. Yes. He is a wonderful man. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, he like always cooks for me, but this morning he actually, he was making some smashed avo toast and then he had to take a work call. And so I actually finished making it and brought it up to him. And he was just so thankful because he always takes care of me, especially in the food department. And so when I'm able to do something small like that, I try to, but yeah, it does. It makes a huge difference. And, you know, um, you were saying this weekend that Bobby keeps saying one plus one equals 11. And I think that's really true in the family atmosphere. And Pat and I think of ourselves as a team and, and we can really make each other better by, by working together. Yeah, that's right. And your mother's advice, just to wrap this part up, was surround yourself with those that will make you better. So that's that village yeah. part. And and again, um, you know, I just I'm glad we got a chance to talk about Pat Lamore because I think he's that unsung hero. A lot of times, For not sure. that you don't sing his praises, but 
I didn't realize until I was there, wow, Pat really is, yeah. and of course, reading the book. So uh, let's talk about Barb a little bit. So I know that Barb got you into triathlon, took a little convincing. It did. Um, kind of like it took convincing to work with you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And of course, the best decision of your life besides, uh, you know, Patrick having your family. Stanley. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> of course, we want to. So um, just briefly, would you talk a little bit about uh, that experience and what really drove you to uh, eventually being the Rio gold medalist and our first, our first medalist for triathlon? Loaded question. Um, yeah. You know, Barb, Barb started talking to me and, you know, she introduced triathlon and I didn't even know there was such a thing as draft legal ITU triathlon. I didn't know that it was an Olympic sport. All I knew was like Kona um, and, and long distance triathlon. And so when she approached me, I was just like, absolutely not. I am not doing that. And she's like, well, what do you think a triathlon is? And she kind of explained what the ITU sport was. And, um, I still wasn't convinced, but I was like, okay, that doesn't sound as bad. And she actually just became a mentor who, while I was, I think throughout, you know, my last year of college and then into when I was working for Ernst and Young, she'd call me once a week and just check in, say, Hey, how are you doing? Um, and, and she was just somebody who provided really good advice and just about life stuff. Like I said earlier, you know, once I had Stanley, like get outside every day, just simple things like that. Um, and so she was just a huge light in my life. And she just kept asking every once in a while, like, do you want to, she never pushed it. Um, and eventually, um, she was like, well, what if we like find you a coach? Like, are you still going to exercise when you're working at Ernst and Young? And I was like, yeah, I want to, you know, stay fit. And she's like, okay, we'll just try triathlon then. Um, and so she through USA triathlon helped get me a bike, a coach. And, you know, within a year of that, I qualified for my first Olympics. So it was, it was pretty incredible that, that rise and Barb, when she first talked to me, she said, you know, on paper, Gwen, you're way better than I was. And I was an Olympian. So basically she was saying like, you're, you're going to be an Olympian, but I didn't believe her. Um, and, and so when that actually happened, I was like, whoa, okay. You know, I can do triathlon as a, as a sport. And I've always been someone who I want to be independent. And so, you know, my, I remember when I was kind of talking about it with my parents and my family and they're like, well, we can help support you. You can live at home. We can, you know, give you some money if you want to do professional, um, triathlon because, you know, you, you can always do accounting. You can't always do athletics because you get older and you can't do it. <laughs> so yeah, I was just like, okay, um, I don't want that. Like, I'm not going to do this unless I can support myself and USA triathlon, um, you know, I qualified for it. They kind of supported me and I was working. And then when I qualified for my first Olympics, I realized like I can do this as a profession and I can support myself and it is a career that I can do. So um, yeah, that's how I got into the sport. And my first Olympics, I got a flat tire, um, super disappointing. And that's really when I made a lot of changes that catapulted me into winning Olympic gold. I sat down and thought, you know, I know I can medal. I know I can win gold. What, but what do I need to do? And I looked around and saw every, all the other medaler, medalists, they were, you know, in this daily performance environment where they were training with their direct competitors on a daily basis. And so I researched some different groups and found Jamie's group. And the only thing that was holding me back was I didn't want to move abroad. I had to move abroad for eight, nine months of the year. And that's when Pat said, you know, we were very newly on dating and he was just like, I'll, I'll move with you. And, and so I was like, okay, well, if I have you, I, I think I can do this. And I learned so much in those four years and it was really difficult. Um, it was scary. We, <laughs> Um, you know, it was very risky, but it, it's, I think that's, I always think of myself as very conservative, but I have taken so many risks career and it's, it pays off big. And I think what's allowed me to take those risks is just being vulnerable and, and allowing myself to, to not be afraid to, to fail. I, I love it. And I'll steal another quote from Bobby and that's grace, gratitude, and guts. And I will say that following you over the years, I think that's what made me uh, so nervous to, to work with you and to finally meet you and do these things. Uh, Pat was joking around with you on my way up to see you this weekend, <laughs> and I'd probably start crying when I saw you. Uh, I did end up crying at the end a little, or tearing up at the end a little bit, but um, 
I, it's just because you really do embody that. And I know you won't say that about yourself, but I, I definitely will. And just things like taking that biking challenge on because you were already, you knew the swimming, you knew the running, but the biking can be scary. Yep. And I know just in having that flat in the first Olympics, even that's not even a subject that I know, um, you know, it's a sore subject for sure. And, and you can't control that. And no. that's the thing. It's actually not a sore subject. I'm, no? I'm, it's just, it is, you can't control that. And I think right. that's something that sport has taught me, like control what you can t- control and accept what you can't. Like, I don't know. I actually am really grateful for that flat. It's what's allowed me to get Olympic gold. I don't think I would have moved abroad and taken that four years to actually get gold in Rio um, if it wasn't for that. So, I mean, I, I do, yeah, I actually, yeah, I, I'm kind of grateful for it. <laughs> so I've actually talked to some people that think that, you know, your journey, because you had such a, I mean, your, your journey, once you start, Barb convinced you to do the triathlon, it seemed to people like it was overnight, right? Your yep. success. And yet, I'm thinking about, especially reading the book again, Go, Gwen, Go. People definitely need to get that book. It's the process is amazing. I love seeing how you adapted, constantly adapted and the fortitude like we talked about, but um, working at Ernest and Young and full-time at first and just having to figure out how you're going to shove your bike into your, I think your dad's car to get to- right? And start that process. And then all the way through to actually getting Pat to teach you, uh, I believe he taught you uh, your initial um, stages were just hiring Pat to uh, teach you how to bike, right? Yep. And, uh, but just overcoming those type of things, but then really attacking the bike. And I want to get to that a little bit more because when you could have just said, you know, I'm, I'm not a great biker and I'm just going to, I'm just going to rely on running at the end, but you, you improved your biking quite a bit for Rio. Um, I believe this is right that you, you were on a motorcycle and just getting used to uh, the downhill section. Of course, it was scary for you and then started doing it more on your bike and then just got better at it and more technical at it. So that's something that I was really impressed with. In other words, it just didn't come. You had to work very hard at it and you attacked that and you focused on that. And I think that's part of that three, three that we were talking about, right. That Jamie introduced to you, I think. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the bikes, yeah, the the biking didn't come easy and every off season, Pat made me do cycle cross mountain biking, things that scared me to death. And I remember my very first cycle cross race, I was almost in tears. And I was like, Pat, I can't do this. Like, I just, I know I can't. And he's like, okay, Gwen, you know what? This first race, if you don't think you can bike it, carry your bike the entire time and just run it. And I basically ran 90% of the course. And it was just these weekly cycle cross races. And every week I'd go and I get a little bit better. And I like, even at the end, I was still like scared of certain things like a sharp left hand downhill off camber turn is something that for some reason always really struggle I struggled with but yeah I mean I knew I wasn't great at biking and I think you know when I qualified for that first Olympics there was a lot of talk of one's just a runner she only qualified because it's a runner race like it was a running race in the qualifying race and I really you know I was like you know what I am not just a runner I am a full triathlete and I worked my butt off to get there and yeah, I did a camp uh, with uh, my former sponsor, Red Bull, where we were going down on motorcycles um, at full speed. And then they hired professional uh, cyclists, um, Tim Johnson, cycle cross rider. And then um, they had a Tour de France rider. And like, we were just like doing everything to, to teach me and to get comfortable with the corners. And um, even every year with the Jamie Turner, we'd go to this altitude camp and we stayed in Falls Creek in Australia. And it was like a 30 minute drive down the mountain to where we swam every day. And I would every day ride it on my bike. It took about the same time on, on the bike and, and riding, um, in a car and I hated it. I dreaded it. I was scared, but I knew like, that's what I needed to do to be successful. And, and so that's what I did. Yeah, no, and, and it really paid off because um, I believe that in Rio, the whole plan from uh, your competitors was just to try to drop you on the bike 
but they weren't able to do that. And so uh, you, you were able to, you made your process a little bit more specific and geared towards what can I do from where I'm at now to where I want to be. I can, I can be a specialist in all three. I'm not just going to rely on my running. And I think that that is an important lesson. I, I brought that up so many times um, to people that I coach. And one of my parents, actually, that uh, a very special young man that I work with that I, I believe in 100%, his, his mom, Michelle, she's reading your book right now. I, I told her, you're going to really love this book because as a parent, she's very much in sync with uh, how you were raised and she's loving it. And she was telling me about, remember when you broke your arm and you were asking a doctor if you could have uh, a, a waterproof cast? Yep. Yep. Like, well, it's not that kind of a break and no, kind of, <laughs> sorry, you can't. and she was loving that because um, that is how her son is like too. And I think it's very important early on to establish that kind of attitude, if you will, and that kind yep. of resilience. And so Again, I think going back to your parents, they had a big role in that, in, in that culture, right? They definitely did, yeah. Yeah, so, and then, okay, so I'd like to just ask you now, so you transitioned from the triathlon at the pinnacle. I mean, you were right at the very top. And again, this is something that I find very interesting because I think a lot of athletes would have, maybe just played it safe and stayed in the sport that they're already dominating in. But you said, yes. well, now I'm going to switch over to uh, at first the marathon and the track and then came the injury. So can you talk a little bit about that? What, what that decision was for, what made that decision for you to go after uh, initially the marathon and now the 10,000 meters and talk a little bit about uh, your injury, please. Yeah. So I, in, in triathlon, you know, triathlon chose me. We already talked about like Barb needing to convince me to do it. And, um, I, I, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy it. Um, you know, you said earlier, that was the best decision of my life. Um, and, and from an outsider's perspective, it, it probably looks like that. And I enjoyed my time in triathlon, but it, it wasn't where my heart was. I, I actually post-college wanted to run professionally and, and my college coach said, I, you know, your times, you're not good enough. Like I was, you know, basically a 16 minute five care. Um, and, and so for me, it was like, I did trough on and anything you're good at, I think you enjoy it a little bit. They're like, to an extent that makes you enjoy it. But I dreaded swimming every day. I just, I loathed it. I remember <laughs> this one swim practice I showed up at and Jamie was just like, why do you have this long face every day? And I was like, cause I don't want to be here. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. And, you know, I'd get the work done. And I think, um, when I was younger, my mom and dad made me play an instrument. And as I grew to love swimming, I actually hated violin because I felt like it was taking away from swimming, but I was still a really good violinist. And I don't like from an early age, like no matter what I did, I wanted to be good at it, even if I didn't like it. And I feel like I kind of learned that through violin. Mm. And so that kind of carried over. And I think is part of what allowed me to be successful in triathlon. Mm. But yeah, you know, I, I finished triathlon and I actually always like the plan was always, I wanted a baby. And I talked to Pat about that plenty. He really wanted the family as well. And so we actually thought like Rio win gold, have a baby retire, be done. Um, and it's, as it got closer, I was like, you know, there's all these other women in sport at the Olympics that have babies and they can, you know, do sport. And I didn't think it was possible to have a child and, and be an athlete. And so I saw these other women and it inspired me to be like, no, I can do sport. And the more I thought about it, yeah, the easy choice was triathlon. I would have like, I'd make more money. It would, um, you know, I knew the formula, but for me, like that doesn't motivate me even after the Olympics. Um, I actually still did the world champs triathlon and I just, every day I was like, this is the last thing I want to do. I accomplished my goal. Like why, who cares? Like, I don't, I already got a world championship title. I already got my Olympic gold medalist. Like what, I don't want another one. Like that doesn't motivate me. Something that motivates me is something that's difficult. Something that I can see improvement. And I felt like I had reached my potential in triathlon. And so it wasn't exciting and motivating for me, but running through triathlon, I knew that my running times kept getting faster and faster. 
and I knew that I also hadn't reached my best in running and I just I really wanted to do professional running and I called a couple different running coaches Uh, I consulted with Bahavi way back then on it obviously as well and you know he's very analytical he's like taking my vo2 max and all these other things he's like oh yeah you can you can do this and probably this and you know the the mathematical side of it but but more it was just like in my heart that's really what I wanted to do and I am really motivated by challenges and so for me I yeah packed up everything we moved out to Portland Oregon joined the Bowerman Track Club where I was the worst runner um by probably a minute if you just looked at our times on a piece of paper and you know I'm now surrounded by world championships daily and it, it was really hard and, and um, humbling at the beginning. It was kind of like the beginning of my triathlon career. You know, you talked about earlier a little bit, like it looks like my triathlon career was just easy, easy, easy. Um, and I think that's because almost everyone always remembers people's highs and they don't remember their lows. Um, you know, you could tell me that I was Olympic gold medalist, world champion. You remember that stuff, but you don't remember when I DNF'd, when I crashed out when I could have won world champs, but I crashed in London, like nobody remembers that stuff. So it's, you know, yeah, it's, I feel like I'm just rambling, but it's, it's something that I wanted to challenge. And then I, I switched sports and Pat was actually, when I said I wanted to do this, he was probably the most hesitant. And it's interesting because now he's way more, almost more supportive than me. Like if I have doubts, he's like, no, you you totally have this. Like, I know you're going to do it, Um, which is just kind of cool to have him in my corner. But yeah, I mean, after as well, like when I talked to Pat, I said, you know, this is also your time. You've now spent four years supporting me. Is there something you want to do? And I gave him that option. And and he said, no, like I I want, I think you can do this running thing and, and let's do it. So Um, yeah, then I started running. I said, I wanted to win gold in the marathon, which is very bold. And I think a lot of people think that's, um, I don't know, like just too bold in a sense. But for me, I always say like, I want women and young girls to feel okay saying what they want. And I think when I say something, it holds the people in my circle and the people around me accountable. And as well, it's, it just like, once it's out there, I think it also motivates me to, to keep on the goal. And, um, you know, I didn't achieve that goal. I didn't even compete in the Olympic trials in the marathon because I had surgery and that's okay. I think it's really important as well to realize goals change. They're malleable. Like you can't just set a goal, a big goal and, and think that it'll stay the same. Like you have all these little goals along the way. And so, I had surgery. I had a um, a bone deformity on my heel called the called the Haglund uh, deformity, and that started actually when I was pregnant with Stanley, and my feet grew, and I didn't know um, that they grew, and I was wearing shoes that were too small, and it just got worse and worse and worse over time, and I was able to compete and run through it, and it just after the Chicago Marathon got so bad, I just realized like I'm I'm training right now at. 60%. And I just know that I can't make an Olympic team training at 60%. So I made the hard decision of having surgery and rehab was super difficult. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard. Injury is really difficult. It's the hardest part about sport and, and going into running. I think I took for granted how healthy I was in triathlon in, in triathlon. I had people say, all you have to do Gwen, is stay healthy. And I just took that for granted because I was healthy. I was healthy my entire triathlon career. Like I never had an issue. So in running, when I started having this bone issue and I had some tendon issue, I didn't even know that you could get tendon issues. Like I thought it was only bone. And I was like, I eat great. My bone density is great. I'm never going to have an injury. And so I think I was just really naive in that regard. And so it's, it was, it was hard to overcome that, but at the same time, it's allowed me to learn more about my body. And I feel like such a stronger, more, uh, just well-rounded and knowledgeable athlete because of that. And I've come back from surgery, I think so much stronger, you know, how to listen to my body a little bit better. And, and so, yeah, I think injury was tough. It was really tough, but, and anyone who's going through it, um, you know, it's, it's, there's no easy way around it. And rehab is even harder. But if you can come back on the other side, I really think that you can be a lot stronger and a better athlete. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that 
I was thinking about while you were talking because every everything was so good there. If I'm going to go back and I'm going to take notes and that's going to become like a lecture to athletes <laughs> that I work with. But just we talked a little bit about just adversity and getting knocked down. I've always said that champions, the difference is they keep getting back up. It's just that's the difference a lot of times. Sure, you have to be good enough. You have to have enough talent. You, ha- you, know, you, you have to have at least those attributes that can put you on that platform. But to get to the podium, that's different now. To me, it's that athlete that just sees those injuries or setbacks as opportunities. And just the fact that you are willing to really follow your joy and switch over to running and then not even see the injury as, okay, well, I could, I think I could just end it now. It's fine. I've done what I, I have my gold medal and which by the way, Pat, let me hold it. And <laughs> yep. that was amazing. It's heavy. It's yeah, heavy. It's very heavy. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, but you didn't. And I think that again, that, that is who you are. Yeah. And I mean, that thought healthy. never, it never crossed my mind for me. It was, you know, even, when I was rehabbing, it was looking with my, uh, my pelvic floor PT about like, where are my biggest weaknesses? And like, can I do some glute work or can I do some activation of my transverse abdominal? Like, yes, I can do that stuff while my cast is on. Like it was looking at these little things of where can I improve? Um, even though I'm, I'm injured and can't do what I would normally do to be a a runner. Yes. And your pelvic floor PT, I just want to give her a little bit of a shout out because this weekend, especially working with you, realizing that a lot of the things that we found, she already had been discussing that with you, which I love. So she's, she is really good at what she does. What, what is her name again? Her name is Jessica Dorrington. Yeah, she is a amazing, amazing. Um, she, I definitely wouldn't have been able to come back from having Stanley without her. Um, so all those women out there, just a little PSA, if you do have a kid, find a pelvic floor specialist. It's something that um, it, it's, it's life-changing. Don't just have a baby and think like, oh, I'm going to leak for the rest of my life or I'm going to whatever for the rest of my life. Like, no, like work with a pelvic floor PT and you can get your body back even stronger. Yeah, I actually talked to my wife about that this morning because I was so impressed. And we discussed her actually finding one here because she's never That's actually so exciting, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really have been, I'm, I never really thought about that. Of course I'm a guy, so I don't know, but I never really <laughs> thought about that. But now I realize after Mia, she, uh, she was a professional dancer and there are, there are some things there that um, we've, we've gone through in the last few years where once in a while she'll get an injury to, uh, to her lower back. And, and I, I know that she is definitely uh, strong enough and well-balanced, but, but I think that she needs, this is a little piece of the puzzle that she needs. So yeah, for sure. I think yeah, everyone so, needs to. Yeah. Everyone. So I think that's really important. I'm glad we brought her up um, for our listeners out there. I think they should check that out. Yeah. So um, I just, speaking of the pieces in the puzzle though, I, I want to be respectful of your time too, and we could talk forever. So we'll wrap <laughs> this up though. Um, but we're okay, I think, with um, doing maybe a part two uh, sometime next year. Yeah, that'd be and, exciting just to follow up to see, like, the progression. Yes, yes. And uh, and that's where I'd like to just kind of uh, finish off with the podcast, Gwen, and just talking a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish in 2021. And then, um, you know, maybe talking just uh, about what we found this weekend. I love the fact that you would say things to me also, even leading up to this weekend, where I'd say, um, do you, what do you think about this movement? Do you like it? And you would say, I don't like it, but it's, uh, it's, it's hard for me. So I'm going to do it. And I know that I need to do it. So, yep. um, you know, again, that same attitude is important. And I'd like to think about sometimes that that one piece in your puzzle, you still need it to make the big picture. And yeah. so I think you always realize that. So maybe just speaking on what you're working on now, of course, uh, I'm honored to be a part of that process. I it's it's I didn't I never wanted an injury for you, but I, I guess I have to be grateful that because uh-huh. that's probably why I'm involved at this point. Right. Yep. Um, and so, um, yeah, talk a little bit about 2021, what yeah. you hope to accomplish, um, again, COVID 
I'm just impressed with, again, how driven you are, even though we don't really know for sure what's going to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm going along that uh, I'm training as if the Olympic trials and the Olympics will happen. So the Olympic trials uh, for the 5K, 10K, they start June, oh boy, 18th or 19th, I think it's the 19th. And so that's, that's the focus right now. I'm training in Portland and we normally do a altitude camp at the beginning of January, but, um, with COVID cases rising, I'm not sure if we'll be able to do that or not, but we're, we're a professional group and we, we get stuff done, you know, even during COVID last year, we split up into small groups to get our training done and we can get that training done. So I think, um, you know, that's the plan to do a few altitude camps, do some races last year, our group, we were able to put on some of our own races. So I need to get a 10 K qualifying time, um, just cause I haven't done one um, within the, the window. So I was going to do one like three days before, uh, COVID hit and then the window shut. So anyway, I need to do a qualifying time. I need to do a 10 K. Um, and then yeah, the, the big races in June in the Olympic trials. And what I'm trying to do is, um, I think return some of my leg spring stiffness. I think that's where I've been, been lacking. And, you know, Matt, you love to explain everything to me, <laughs> um, all the details, you know, you were going through your anatomy book and I was like, you can explain this, but I, I don't need this. You know, I think it's good to have big pictures, but for me, a lot of times it's okay, this is weak. So just do this. You know, I'm not the expert and I'm not going to be the expert. That's why I have so many people in my circle and people like you is you tell me, okay, this, this is what we need to do to correct X, Y, Z. And, um, so yeah, I would not be able to tell you every movement we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, that is all in a spreadsheet, but I like to just follow along, but yeah, the, the biggest things I think are, you know, correct some of, you know, um, my arm swing, uh, improve my leg spring stiffness, um, just get some of the biomechanics better so that I'm running as the most powerful runner that I can so that I can reach my potential. Yeah, that's, that's really well said. And so, Gwen, we'll, um, we'll do the part two and we'll talk about what you were able to accomplish. And I know that no matter what happens, the process is always worth it, right? And, yep. and that's what I think uh, I always want to finish with, with a conversation like this, because I certainly don't think that, like you mentioned earlier, your parents never raised you thinking we're raising an Olympian. And if you never became an Olympian, you'd still be Gwen. And, and the person that you are, that is a part of this process and developing into the person that, you know, the legacy, if you will, that uh, I believe you are for so many athletes and so many rising stars that really look towards you and, and what you're doing every day. And, and of course, probably most importantly to, to Stanley, right? Yeah. Um, so I'd love to think, hear you know, you more kind of, about You that. said something that just, I think is really important to touch on if you have any young listeners or parents and, um, of kids. And that's just, if something that I wish I would have learned a little bit earlier, I didn't learn it until probably after college, but that your identity isn't in sport. And I think that's something that's allowed me to be successful. It's what allowed me to be successful in triathlon. It's allowed me to be bold in running is I, I, I don't listen to the random people out there, the random rest, I call them. I, I only care about uh, Gwen and, and Gwen's circle. And I think it's important as well to know, like, you know, Stanley, it's easy when you have a child to, to not let your identity be in sport because you come home and your kid doesn't care if you ran fast, low, tripped, fell, whatever. That Stanley actually does care if I fall. Actually, the <laughs> other day I tripped and he's like, you need to run slower, mom. <laughs> I was like, Anyway, I think, you know, it's just really important to, like you said, like focus on the process and don't get caught up as well, though. Don't get caught up in your identity being in sport. Um, you learn so many lessons through it. And if you focus on the process and focus on doing what you're supposed to do, the outcomes will come. And I think that's something that's, that's really important. That was so well said. Guys, Gwen Jorgensen, this has been an honor. Um, if I may, just to say the pinnacle of my career was uh, working with you this, this last weekend in person because I got to know the person. And we've been talking over the phone for a while, but just 
being around you, being with you and your circle, your family was uh, such a great experience. And that's a part of the legacy that I want to be able to share with athletes and with my family. And so thank you so much for allowing me to be a piece in the puzzle. Gwen Jorgensen, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Gwen. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. And I do hope that you learned something from it. Just to remind you, please share our podcast, especially if you feel like it's really speaking to you and it's helping you, then why not share it with other people so they can get that same help too. So anybody that you really feel like would benefit from this, just take a minute and share that with them. I know personally that I listen to other podcasts that I really love and enjoy listening to, and I have good intentions of writing a review or sharing it, and it just doesn't happen. So I get it, but after a year and a half now of doing podcasts and really enjoying the process, I have learned that I really need to ask for this, and this is something that is starting to work. So I'm asking that you guys do take a minute and share, that you write a review, Anybody that it can help because it's helping you, you know that it can help them too. Please share it with them. We want to help as many people as we can. And we are our own sponsors. This podcast is, um, it's a passion. It's something, it's a a love, but it is still a labor as any work still is. And it is something that we do need to get out there so that we can keep doing this and keep serving others. Uh, last little bit here, I want to make sure that everyone knows I do have programs that are coming out for 2021. We're really excited about them. They will be very affordable and something that anybody can sign up for and benefit from. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I know that you guys will love it too. So we'll look forward to getting fit and being healthy in 2021 together. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next time.